Hello and welcome to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, coming to you from Tennessee. Um, we're also streaming live on CHDTV. I guess I should say up front here that the views expressed on this show um, are not necessarily those of CHD or our wonderful host station, KKNW in Seattle. Um, and also say we're not doctors and we're not attorneys. We're just concerned citizens and we're going to be talking about a lot of things. Um, but you leading you toward making your own informed decision. That's what this whole show is about, leading an informed life. And you have to go down the rabbit hole to really get the information that you need. And that's what this whole show is about today. I want to bring on my wonderful co-host, Dr. Javier Figueroa. Welcome, uh, Javier. Dr. X, so good to see you. Good to see you too, Bernadette. How are you? I'm, I'm just pleased two weeks in a row that I get you. <laughs> it's it's very cool. So, you know, I, I'm the mama bear. I got a bachelor in some sort of art degree. I can't even remember what the thing is called anymore. But you're the PhD with the uh, neurobiology uh, degree. And you're doing amazing work. I just saw I just saw you're writing now to your legislators, is it? Or is it Absolutely. somebody? Yeah. yeah, to my two representatives and my senator in the great state of Idaho. Fantastic. Well done. And I and I also shared with Informed Choice Washington Substack followers your most recent post where you're going through your dialogue, your attempt at dialogue with the University of Washington, your alma mater, who just really refuses to follow the science. <laughs> um, yes. What What's that all about? You know, I guess we could just do this little, yeah, exactly. money, money, money thing. Um so uh, a, a little shout out, even if I forget it, every time we do this show, just know in, in my heart, all of us here at Informed Choice Washington, everywhere in the movement, we are so grateful to the people at Informed Choice, our active members who are fighting hard and our donors, they make this show possible. Um, we don't we, we're just all volunteer. We do public service announcements at no charge. Mm -hmm. But I want to tell you, Javier, if anybody's listening, and you do own a business and you are aligned with the mission of an informed life radio. Um, you know, we've got a lot of things that we need to work for and it takes money to do that. So if anybody wants to do like a little PSA that we can check out and see, yeah, maybe we can do that. And you want to help pay for the show a little bit. I think we're going to start moving a little bit possibly in that area. Um, maybe a little bit the way NPR does, but very ethically. <laughs> but even better. And again, yeah. Remember, put your resources where you are actually supported and uh, propped up because it makes no sense to uh, keep on giving money to those that are actively fighting against you. Give money to yeah. people that are actually fighting for you. Uh, excellent advice. And, you know, we need to dedicate a show in the future, Javier, to how to extricate yourself because I know that I'm still involved in all the ways you are in life. You, you know, yes. you, it's, it's a tangled web where your money is. is going to what it's supporting and we have to pull the threads and, and get free. Um, 
So our next guest, I'm really excited to meet. I was introduced and I can't even remember. People send me these wonderful guests and I just like, wow, I love that person. So um, we are going to be interviewing today the director of a docu-series. Listen to this. His name is Adam Hawk Jensen. He's an award-winning journalist, writer, producer, director, editor, teacher, artist, and activist with over 20 years as a journeyman Los Angeles filmmaker. And he has spent the last decade focused on documentary films within the human rights advocacy and human freedom communities. I think I'm going to stop right there because there is Mr. Hawk Jensen. Welcome to an informed life radio. Great. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, and then, and the, you heard the introduction. There is our wonderful Javier. Yeah, um, good to meet you both. Yeah. Yeah. So I was so excited to see your series. The, we focus a lot of times so much on the COVID shots because of the injuries they're causing and the corruption and fraud and all that goes with it. But this, the whole lockdown thing is so insidious and it was, it's really frightening to think how so many people fell in lockstep and obeyed were, you know, and just trusted they needed to do it. I feel like the best of humanity has been co-opted over the last few years because people really did what they thought was best and safe. And when you combine telling people you need to do this to save people and you put them in the fear mode that shuts off the frontal lobe for critical thinking, mm. this is dangerous. And so I'm really Absolutely. excited yeah, about your, your documentary film. What I'm going to try to do, if I can, is I'm going to try to play your trailer here. Let's see if we can do that. Okay. I'm going to share my screen and bring us on over to follow the science. So let, let me know when that appears. Is that showing for you? Uh, looks like, yep, there it is. Yep. Okay. Let's see if we can hear this here and follow. So the people on the radio, you're going to be hearing some sound bites of people talking, but I think you'll be able to follow the gist of what this docu-series uh, is going to be about. We should take a closer look at these lockdown policies. What does a lockdown actually mean? It is not the goal to avoid exposure to the virus. It's March 2020. Social distancing has become a new part of our language. It was, we have to flatten the curve. It spread it out more over time so that hospitals would not be overwhelmed. How's that curve coming along? And they're like, no new cases. That's the new metric. And we're all afraid to say anything because if we say anything, then that means we want to kill people. Lockdowns will continue. Never in the history of the West have healthy people been kept from assembly and economic activity. We're not going to be able to keep everybody locked in a bunker. You have a stake in this. Destruction of livelihoods, suspension of medical care for other conditions. Impact on children, pulling them out of school for more than a year. Some places you weren't allowed to go outside. We saw the highest rise in teen suicide in the history of the United States. You know, the more I think about it, the collateral damage was almost worse than the pandemic. Science is not a building or an institution. Science is a process. Follow the science became a facade, hiding, follow the dogma. If we don't get away from the censorship of ideas we don't agree with, science is going to die.
Join us as we lock down the science on lockdowns. <laughs> Thank so, you. That is so wonderful. Let me see if I'll pause that. There we go. Love that. Um, the website is follow the science um, series series.com. That's correct. Yep. Follow the science series.com. And, you know, if you were only listening, I mean, some of the top names who've been in this for a long time, Dr. Bhattacharya, um, if, what other name? There was Dr. David Katz. Uh, he, he became well known through his New York Times, uh, early New York Times uh, articles. Um, and then we have a, a, a Nick Hudson, who's the chairman of Panda, which is pandata.org, which is a uh, they're based out of the Southern Hemisphere and a European group of dissident scientists and doctors who are, you know, they've been looking at it outside the uh, Science Inc. narrative and pushing very hard. And they, they advised us on the science uh, pretty thoroughly in the process of this. Yeah. So, and, and yes. then Clifton Duncan's our host, and we have a whole host, host of other uh, dissident voices and and uh, human interest stories, people on the ground who really suffered. So we, it's, a, it's a mashup of all of that. We tried to have a, a complete story to try and recreate what occurred, capture that 2020 lockdown experience as a retrospective that we felt was needed. Mm. That's so important. Through the medium of art, people learn and and move forward. I think it's such an important part of 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 the human experience when through through books, through uh, documentaries, sometimes as individuals when we experience it, it's hard to grasp what we just went through. Sure. And projects oh, yeah. like yours let us see it, step back a bit and see it so we can not repeat it. Well, and that's absolutely a vital part of it. And story is so fundamentally important in terms of the fabric of reality. It's the stories that we tell ourselves. And and, and these days with television and and, and uh, film and, and the internet, you can watch them over and over again. That becomes people's reality. And we just felt that the story of, like, there were those of us who disagreed at the time. And we knew, you know, and we, we started into this on, in uh, January of 2021. And I've been working on it for the last two years. And filming everybody in 2021 and, and, and then watching things develop it, and been doing, been doing the, uh, the 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 editorial this past year, and um, and really seeing that that you know that things have keep evolving, and all the things that we suspected, we as artists and filmmakers had suspicions that things were not correct. You know, our our intuitive you know, tingly sense as well as our rational logical sense, what things weren't adding up, and we were like, well, we need to get together. We 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 make we make we're storytellers. Why don't we tell a good story? And at that level of a production value, as your viewers can just hear or see, you know, where it's something that you can watch. It's not just a straight documentary, it's a hybrid. We have we have scripted scenes, we have a we have senses of humor. There's you know we have we have the deep sorrowful stuff, but we have important um, amusing material as well because we want people to have that full experience, but also something that's entertaining and you can watch again and again because we have great we have a like a steamboat willy we, we haven't revealed it yet you see a hint of it but there's a steamboat willy style character that is covey too and has is this <laughs> character that comes in and all like i i have six nephews and i made it ostensibly for them and i they, every time i test audience with them they're oh we love that so they want to see it over and over again like we want to make it so it's not 
not just a once-off view. People will see it, they'll watch it again and again. That world rebuilding is what we're going for because there were people who thought differently, such as yourselves and and my colleagues and and a whole host of, I think, some of the best of humanity. You mentioned that a lot of the best humanity was usurped into this movement of this narrative. But I think a whole wonderful new group of humans and individuals have awakened. And this is for them. This is for them. And this is for everyone because we wanted to have a platform for everyone to build dialogue and have conversation, which is the point of the piece. We lost our dialogue. It was about being curious. It was about having conversations. Ultimately, mm-hmm. we just want to bring back that American spirit of having a conversation. So that's the my quick entree into follow the science with you guys. I, I'm just, I'm so thrilled. I, it's so needed. Um, we're just so simpatico here. I'm not really prepared with a whole lot of questions. Um, but, you know, what I do would love to see is a dialogue like between you and Javier here, because as a neurobiologist, I mean, he studies what's going on wrong in the brain. And he knows all about like hyperbaric oxygen treatment therapy for treatment. But, you know, he's kind of made a life study. I'm why am I talking for you? But but with the I want you guys to talk about the whole neuro aspect of lockdowns, what you know, Javier, and maybe what is portrayed Mm -hmm. in the film. Well, actually, so one again, I love the introduction. That was such a great uh, uh, trailer to bring in and uh, basically, you know, invite people to come in and, and look at the story uh, from a narrative perspective. Again, and not not to diminish the fact that you have some of the best minds uh, out there in epidemiology and science uh, being part of this, but narrative is really such a fundamental part of how we interact as humans, and including in the sciences. So absolutely, narrative is so critical. And, and I, what was um, you know, as as part of your creative process, what drove you? What was the narrative that you were trying to, you know, basically put into uh, your series? Uh, well, I, <laughs> big question, really. Um, I mean, f- the so this, we're doing the this is the pilot episode, so it's the first of five, and so this is specifically the pilot is called um, it's follow the science lockdowns go viral, and but we specifically wanted to come after curiosity. What is curiosity? It's the fundamentally you know, what is to be a curious human because that's the that's the that's the forerunner of self expression, the forerunner mm-hmm. of a, of asking questions, and 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 which eventually led to science. So as artists who are free expressionists, we wanted to like give support to the scientists because we we saw their ability to express and ask questions getting diminished so so there was a natural sort of driver there for me um and for but i was also you know you mentioned that we have these top scientific names and and but the aspect of it's difficult to get knowledge imparted to a larger audience right like a lot of people think oh we'll just record a bunch of facts people see it and then that's then then it's on the tv and it's out there it's like no it's that's not how mm-hmm. it works there's there's this natural um narrative that uh, language this is sort of the language of our psyche you could probably this here's my artistic attempt to express it and you will probably have the technical way of describing it but i've i've always said that you know when you have knowledge and emotions uh combined that's wisdom and and the, the the nature of story is that you you, you go on the what's called the hero's journey it's, it's a more it's a fairly well-known term now with films you go on you 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 identify with the hero you go with them and as they pass thresholds as they achieve things they have these sort of emotional uh, breakthroughs it's like oh they do it and they have a, a rush of adrenaline there's a type of emotion and with that emotion you get one piece of knowledge gets inserted with that emotion and that somehow ends up lodged in your psyche there you go 
and it's and and you get one per threshold and then anytime you think of that you'll feel that emotion or if you feel that emotion you'll think of that fact and and that's how we are programmed that's the player piano of the human experience in terms of how we program our psyches and that's what we've been doing with feature film for the last 100 years television for the last 80 years smartphones and the internet for the last 20 years you know it's it's sort of been it's it's subverting that natural um, sort of oral storytelling tradition that we're hardwired to do. And right. and it just seems like now people are realizing, you know, where we just watched movies sort of passively, people are like, this is a fundamental part of how we learn and how we impart wisdom across generations without having to repeat it, what your point you earlier. How do we how do we avoid repeating this this process? So we're trying to capture that. You know, we, we focus on basically January 2020, October 2020, all these emotional thresholds that everyone can identify. Everyone mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and everywhere you've ever been also went through this lockdown experience. Yeah. It's the first true worldwide experience. So so we wanted to kind of have those thresholds of, of emotional moments where people could identify. So when they see it, they have that emotion. They see the emotion and their own story comes right right up. And they start mm -hmm. talking about the things they couldn't talk about at the time. And that, that's our goal is to, is to evoke that conversation. I, I love that. And you make me think of a great book. Uh, years ago when I was writing fiction, there's a book called Wired for Story, The Writer's Guide to Using Brain Science to Hook Readers from the Very First Sentence. Really, you know, great insight there. And, and it's like, you know, mankind used to gather around the, you know, the bonfire and then you'd have your one-legged uncle telling you the story. And you learned a lot because sure. first of all, he's only got one leg. So what the heck happened, right? And and you sure. learn from that storytelling experience. I think it's really important if we want to live an informed life to understand that because we live in a world of marketing, of marketing messages. Some of the players are good who are putting these marketing messages out there, pulling on your heartstrings, like you said, weaving in story with fact, making you feel a certain way. And some are not. Some are trying to sell you a product or sell you a certain way of being in this world. And, and it's difficult sometimes. We don't want to become bitter and estranged and distrustful of all humanity, right? But we have to learn how to trust ourselves and how to go a little bit deeper and explore. Now, some of us who were in the medical freedom movement, uh, vaccine safety reform movement, uh, prior to COVID, we had a unique advantage because we already didn't, tr didn't trust the CDC, the FDA, right? We didn't trust the format. We didn't trust our public health department messaging. We understood the co-op and capture of all these systems. And so everything coming at us, we had a healthy dose of mistrust and criticism, and we would go down the rabbit hole. We would begin exploring science. And I remember I was in this email thread with some amazing people, and all of a sudden they're telling us to put on masks. And, and most of us there were really fearful of experimental vaccines coming. So we had this dialogue for a couple of days. Do you think that maybe if we got behind the masks, it would be a way to help protect people from vaccines when they come? But it didn't uh -huh. take long for us to figure out, no, wait a minute, all the science clearly says from all the flu the I mean, from flu viruses and all the others, masks absolutely do not protect. And then we realized they were placeholders for the infrastructure. So we're first going to make everybody put on a mask to enter a store, to enter a restaurant, to get on a plane, train, whatever. But when they pulled the mask away, it's going to be to slip the vaccine in. And they did that. But then they were, 
They couldn't hide the fact that being vaccinated didn't prevent you from getting sick. So they had to bring the mask back. And I know I'm rambling on here, but what I'm saying is um, story and that journeying and, and helping people understand that without losing their own humanity, hmm. being able to move forward with grace in your heart, um, know that you made mistakes because the best of you was co-opted, but able to face that. And for some people, it's going to be really hard if you were one of the people giving the shots, if you were one of the ones giving the damage, right, um, from all these other things that you did, um, you have, it's going to be quite a catharsis to, to go through to, to move forward. But films like yours, I think, are going to help people on that journey. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, my my target audience, in part, I mean, it was a, a number of people, but I I have six nephews across across two siblings, and so I have a half dozen nephews. Very proud of that. Very very active in their life, and you know they they're coming from different spots, and you know they they there's different political spectrums throughout it. But I I wanted something that they could watch and enjoy, and and be able to become uh, scientifically literate, so that if they watch this and then say you know a forty year old podcaster watches it or something like that. And, I got, um, and, the, and they could sit down and have a conversation, informed conversation about the science that occurred and the experiences that occurred because so much happened so quickly and there was no ability to go back and look. And, and the only way you're going to learn is by discussing it and having these conversations. And uh, it's, it's, it's been difficult. I mean, you, what you were saying, you know, this idea of compliance, I mean, I, I really saw it from the very get-go. There was maybe two days of like, oh, there's an unusual virus that seems a little more virulent than others. Maybe we should pay attention to this. But the, but the way the, 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 the noise around it form is like, oh, no, this is, this is the change behavior. And this is the, this is the start compliance. And, the, and the, the mask wearing, which was really presented as a noble lie by the Paul health policy people where they uh -huh. knew it, they weren't effective, uh -huh. but they needed something to enforce to kind of begin the process of, of, of compliance uh, was, was hard to watch. And I actually, yeah. you know, I, I'd lived in California at the time. I've actually pulled stakes. I got out during lockdowns. I actually got up, got out of California and got back to my childhood home of New Hampshire. And um, <clears throat> which is a little more, which has fought a good fight in terms of uh, reconstituting its freedoms um, post lockdowns. And so, and created a system where lockdowns can't be at, come, come back through executive decree, like it happened all over this country. Mm. Um, but it's, it, it's, um, there's a, an example I like to give, you know, about, behavior change. I mean, there's a few sort of adages. I don't know how correct they are, but like, if you want to, you know, it takes th like 30 days to break a habit and 90 days to start a new habit. I mean, those are things that are said. I don't know how accurate they are, but I, I did a lot of studying of dissident regimes. I, I've, I'm ostensibly a dissident filmmaker working with dissidents. I've worked with, I, I did a whole series on people who um, suffered under uh, authoritarian regimes. And it was very hard to, at first, understand who these people were and why, you know, why they, when, when, when they lived in a closed society, an actual like, you know, jackbooted bunch of jerks, thugocracy, you know, kind of controlling people. These people had to stand up and say something about. It. They had to say, no, there's something wrong here. What you're saying and what we're seeing is different. And you know, I'm, I'll go out on a limb here and say, you know, the 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 CCP, the controlling uh, Communist Party of China, is ostensibly a that what I just described, and they have all these policies on how to control people who express themselves. And Ai Weiwei, it was a very famous artist there, 
um, they they know not to, to arrest someone like an Iowa way who's who's questioning the government and put them on trial and give them a platform to speak. They know they just they literally have a they're like oh what we have to do is we're going to put him in solitary confinement or we'll we'll, we'll 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 isolate him have two guards stare at him for about ninety days. There's that ninety days that thirty three months uh, and basically have zero privacy, destroy their sense of individuality, and they know that if they do that to an artist, they don't have to censor anymore. They just know that artists won't fully express themselves ever again in a way that's a threat to the state. And these are these are things that authoritarian regimes know this stuff. This is a, there's a science, a dastardly science that they perfected during the Cold War and in the years ensuing. I learned all about it working with these dissidents and these same techniques, these these mass compliance techniques, ways to control the collective were clear as day all over the place. And I thought, oh, well, this is this is my nation's <laughs> turn to learn what it is. And there's a piece of wisdom here that had, that seemed to get yeah. had, seemed to get lost since the end of World War II. And we're just going to have to wait and see who self-sorts and who sort of self-awakens. Like, what is going on? Yeah. And then you you meet your 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 colleagues in your community like the, the community of your audience and and informed choice and and uh, health freedom where people are like this doesn't make any sense and it didn't matter the political party or, or the community or the groups it was like everything was right down the middle some people saw it some people didn't and mm -hmm. now we're now we're just trying to prepare a space to save face to get to have people come back into the fold into the ideally in my hope i mean that's my hope um and it's been fascinating to watch but it's i think people are getting real wise to the, the harsh realities of authoritarianism really fast these last couple of years yeah we try to be positive <laughs> yeah exactly i mean it, it has been this amazing um bubbling up of people awakening and again to kind of show some of how things that how we were prepared those of us in the movement before we knew that public health systems and uh, universities teaching public health were already primed to do what they did to us so these are some of the books um, that are out there social marketing uh, marketing public health social marketing public health global trends and so I've got this article, it's on Informed Choice Washington. And, you know, I mean, putting stuff in the media, making anti-vaxxers look crazy. Um, but I wanted to show, go down and show you something Otherizing. particular. Yeah. So this here, let me make it a little bit smaller. Uh, yeah. um, Creepy. <laughs> this, this is from the University of Washington, the Evans School of Public Policy and Governance. So for those on the radio here, I'm showing like a bell curve. And then on the far left, we've got 16% of the people are show me. Just give them, give them some education and that's enough to change their behavior. In the middle of this bell curve at the top, 68% of people are help me and they need social marketing um, to get the best return on investment for behavior change. And then you've got the people on the far right, another 16%, which are the red make me group. And they did a law to force them to change their behavior. This um, UW marketing banner in 2019 was hanging in Olympia, Washington State, in the Capitol building, on the walls where all the legislators are walking by. Um, it was so alarming to see it there um, because they were going around lobbying marketing laws 
that would force people to change particular behaviors that they wanted. You know, nobody asked us if we felt it was a good goal or not, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's creepy. Uh, That's a creepy poster. Yeah. We complained and luckily it came down. Um, Great. So, good for you. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, this, the infrastructure that exists right now to do to us what we, because of the public private partnership that exists between all levels of government and medicine and pharma, mm. uh, you know, it, it's so tight and the marketing machines are out there. So they just CDC or whoever's controlling things pushed it out and the network existed. Mm. And, and the belief that it's the role and right of these local entities to tell you what to do, you know? Yeah, the, the hubris is strong, yes. Yes, the hubris <laughs> is strong. Um, and on that note, I just wanted to ask a question. When you were in the process of getting your, your, your documentary series out, did you have any problem finding a distributor or a, or a, a means of distributing and handing out or getting your message out? Well, it, yeah, it's an ongoing process. I mean, that is the stranglehold. That is the biggest problem is, is distribution. Um, that, that is one of the, in terms of, I mean, Hollywood's, everyone knows Hollywood's been corrupt for decades. It's just sort of now people are realizing that science is every bit, science Inc has been as corrupted for as long, a possibly as long a time, if not longer, and people are only now realizing that. Um, but the distribution has been, we, we, we are shooting for a Hulu level, um, um, distribution art. This is a, it's a speculative thing. We've made this, we raised the funds and we are making it on our own and we we're making it on, you know, we dig on spec. So we're selling it or we will go out after, after the distribution. And the plan was to make it as high a quality as possible so that it would, it would, um, uh, be able to hit, you know, swing for the fences. There's, there's other ass ways of distribution we have in the works, but we're, 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 we're going to be going after that when this comes out in April. Um, and, uh, and we'll see, we'll, we'll get a, a, we'll see what the reception is because it's, the timing is actually quite good. The, there's been enough of a shift. I mean, we, when we first did this, we formed an anonymous group. I'm the only one who's gone public on this project. Everyone else is working under an anonymous banner called Soundmind Creative Group because these are all people who work in the mainstream entertainment world and they don't want to be canceled, as it were. They want to be censored. Um, I've been a dissident filmmaker long enough. I thought it was okay. For, I was fine, you know, taking that on. But it's um, but we'll we'll see how it goes in terms of distribution, and and um, and see what the climate's like. But we wanted to make something strong enough that we can we, we should be able to punch through regardless of you know mid level distributors. There's also there's so many ways now. So we'll we'll find out what the latest is in terms of who's supportive and if the market's there because if we generate our own audience and this is you know like you the fine people on this, this podcast and your audience in terms of like, if we, if we generate more and more audience that the streamers take note. So we're building our own audience as we go. So we, we'll probably have an initial mid-level streamer who takes it out. We'll, we'll, we'll do the tour. We'll, we'll get it out there, build our own audience. And ideally we end up on a, on a Hulu or an Amazon style platform. Um, I don't want to mention the, the other brand cause I don't know if they're, <laughs> they're, they're the least receptive, but the, but there has been noticeable sea change in the last month or two or three. And, yes. and people are really, are looking to change the past or change the role and like oh i see it now didn't and i mean like well you see it now but and and i've been making a lot of arguments like you got to hold space for the people that we bring back into the fold i mean there's some yeah. people who are 
who have dirt who have dirt on their hands i'll say it that way that we're gonna that's gonna be a difficult uh, uh to deal with in in the future and the amount of damage to the children and the citizens of this country is going to be a, very hard to measure but it's going to be we're going to be watching that unfold for the next 20 30 years um if you know or however long it's just this there's never been this type of suppression of a free and open society uh with uh, such flimsy science backing it i'll just say it that way um mm -hmm. we hope but we we we, we want to get it out there and ideally if we catch you know if we catch a wave and it and it does well enough then we should be able to uh get one of the top streamers so that's our, our general um strategy there well, yeah, and I always uh, follow the series, follow the science series.com. Just wanted to repeat that yeah. again. Follow the series science.com. Um, oh, shoot. I had a question went right out of my head. Oh, well, I, um, do you think your topic, because it's about lockdowns and it's not about the shots and it's not about masks. It's about the lockdowns, at least the first one. Are they all going to be about the lockdown or is it just? No, no. It, it, that was basically establishing the character. Establish, I mean, it's, it's okay. in terms of the hero's journey, you that of the ordinary world. And then there's sort of the call to adventure and like the the, event, the initial change and then you meet meeting of the mentors and the allies and the tests. And we're basically that first part, because then if you go into normal feature film, then it's then you go on the ordeal and the belly of the beast and and the reward and the road home and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's okay. every feature film. And so we're establishing that this is the first of, th of five. And then as we move forward, we'll get in. So then we get into masks more we, we do a little bit of mask on this one but we go deeper into masks we go deeper into origins of the virus and then and then we go into vaccines by episode three um okay. and, and and once and then we have sort of a, a an establishment of the science all those aspects and then as we move forward we are we have three hosts we have clifton duncan we have a youtuber named sydney watson she sort of covers the mainstream narrative perspective and then nick hudson who i mentioned of panda is our science communicator and so at the end of this pilot episode they actually have a conversation of everything they learn they sort of they they have their experience and then br and then they bring their collective experience into a conversation into that dialogue and so as we move forward we'll bring in heavier and heavier voices and continue the conversation so by episode four and five it won't be you know they'll be talking heads but it's there'll be a grand conversation of people discussing it and bringing like oh well we don't know about that well let's bring in this expert so it's like all the generalists are talking and as, as something isn't uncertain if something's uncertain let's grab this specialist bring them in have them give their specialty uh, knowledge, but also have them bring their their personal, you know, human side, their humanity to it, and and then keep that conversation going, so that you know they sort of inspire each other to kind of get further and further into the truth, because science is not, you know. Science is not the arbiter of truth. Science is the is the pursuit of truth. The self-correcting, ever you know, looking. You you know, you're never going to be on it. You're just always seeking it, and that's the joy. I mean, it's the hero's journey. It's the scientific hero's journey, and we want to just sort of capture that joy of the human experience of pursuing cu your curiosity, and so, and we want to do that through this conversation. So so as we move through the series, we'll tackle the big issues, of, and we'll get to the vaccines. And as you know more and more information is coming out as we go. And we've, we, we have been interviewing people about this. We've already started into those, but we wanted to establish the ordinary world. What was the world? I mean, people kind of rather sadly say things like, yes, remember, you know, back before all of this, mm -hmm. there's a certain aspect. We, we wanted to establish the ordinary world. And what was the shift? And what was the experience of science at the time? Jay Bhattacharya and Dr. David Katz really do a good job of saying, yeah, I mean, this is what we heard in the news, but the real science world was like, well, yeah, we were watching it. And like, 
there wasn't really any data but the korea korea was really good at getting data early they were they were covering it and you know so that was that was really where the scientists were focused i mean italy was just a kerfuffle <laughs> but it was a terrifying thing you know and so there was this very different sort of unfolding story and yet they too were watching the news unfold and the policy speakers sort of speaking to the news and you were speaking of marketing i mean it's just sort of these sort of like it was like alarm bell going off and like at one moment everyone's like boom lockdowns is the only answer it's like there was this false binary do nothing or lockdowns mm -hmm. and like there was so many more options i mean focused protection we knew it helped hurt the elderly we knew that people with comorbidities were at risk focused protection all we had to do we we're we're a nation of and um you know in many many uh petri dishes and, and, and ingenious people and like why didn't we let everyone figure out how to best protect those vulnerable people whilst and also letting society continue and we, we weren't prepared to do that and they saw it too so we, we just want to capture that right and one thing and i want to do a better job moving forward i couldn't figure out when this was unfolding why didn't anybody ask grandma if she wants to be protected if it's worth mm -hmm. it to her to be isolated for two years from her grandbabies she probably would have said I mean, every, every elderly person I talk to is I would rather risk infection and be with my family. There may have been people who said no, but shouldn't it have been the, those who are most susceptible to poor disease outcomes? It should have been their choice whether or not they wanted to be protected from their mm. grandkids and their family and from life. But they weren't given that choice, many of them. Um, did you get a feeling in, in 2020, as we're moving through this, the percentage of people who complied versus the, the percentage of people who just never complied? What? In, in the sense of the percentages? Yeah. That's a tough question because those who, uh, um, I mean, while you were speaking on that previous point, the, the, the thing that occurred to me and it informs this was, it was sort of like narcissism by proxy. It was sort of like there was this very, we're in this interesting era, you have the last five, 10, 15 years, smartphone, social media, where you have this very loud chattering class, but it's only, you know, million two three million people who are very very you know talking 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 and it's a word it's the me 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 generation they're all very narcissistic and the sort of like oh if you don't do this you're killing grandmother it was like well who are you to speak that it seemed to be a type of this sort of narcissistic sort of strata of people i mean sort of sort of like a modern sort of social media bureaucrat if you will like a self-centered type of narcissist and so they were able to sort of hold like hold up the the grandma you're killing grandma thing as if they're being the righteous ones doing the right thing but they never talk, talk to grandmother as you said yeah, and right. so in, ter in terms of percentages it's very hard to say because that that's actually i might have a small minority of the population i mean let's say like say 10 million people 20 million people 30 million people were involved in the dialogue that's still 10% of the total population, I, th I think the vast majority of people wanted to do what was right and, you know, were misled. But in terms of those who were holding these things up and perhaps were misguided, I think, I think yeah. it's actually a tiny, tiny percentage. I think a lot of people wanting, were just wanting to do what was right and continue living a, a free and open lifestyle. And they, and it was sold as a temporary thing that there were two yeah. weeks to flat curve. You know, there was an implicit sort of promise we do this thing unprecedented for, for two, three weeks. And then yeah. that, that's it on your job. And it's like, Oh, I can handle that. But then the mission drift started. And, you know, here we are years later. I mean, I have, I don't know, are technically the lockdown still on? I think they are. Or the I emergency. Don't, yeah. 
it's, but it's it's just it's all it's now it's all fluff people just ignore it you know it's yeah. they know they know it's not real so that's a difficult answer i mean in terms okay. of percentages i i believe the vast majority of people didn't fall for it in terms of betraying themselves i think there are people who have misled and and i think there are but there i do believe there are nefarious actors who did choose to sort of betray themselves and their their own humanity in the face of this i, I think there's a percentage yeah. of that i think it's a small percentage and i think those people are on their way out yay so. i i, I like your <laughs> optimism but you know you made me think about a year ago the power of story um i'm all over the dial when i drive and i drive a lot going here and there and so and i sometimes i'm on npr I like to hear their spin on things. And about a year ago, there was the most wonderful, you know, they do in-depth storytelling at times. And it was a young woman whose grandmother had been in a nursing home at the beginning of COVID. And she uh -huh. tells you the journey of her grandmother, calling her up, how you doing? Um, and then I think she may have had recordings um, of calling her and then the grandmother beginning to just spiral because she's isolated and she can't see oh, yeah. anybody and her health is failing. And at the end of this, the young woman narrating it said, I don't know that we did the right thing. I don't think we did. We have to rethink this moving forward. And I was so pleased. I mean, it was a devastating story to hear. Her grandmother died alone. Yeah, um, and I just can't imagine that. I, I lost my mom and pop in 2019. I can't imagine them dying alone. Mm -hmm. It's just awful. Um, sure. But but the fact that people we consider usually the opposite of us on, on a lot of these issues, you know, NPRs tends to be the more liberal side who um, who embraced a lot of the, the lockdown shutdown and they're still masked up kind of thing. And yet it showed that our common humanity is there. We just need to talk. We need to tell our stories. And be brave and enough to change change your mind. I mean, uh, one of, we have a, an epiphany storyline. We have a woman named Jen Reisman. She's a um, she is a uh, child psychologist and um, worked with uh, children, you know, kids, and you know, with suicidal needs and you know, all, all the health needs of children. And and you know, she she herself she was she sort of self described as like oh, I was kind of COVID police. I mean, I was absolutely do what I was told. Everybody. She was in Maryland. Like, if we don't do what we're told, there's going to be bodies in the street. And so she totally bought into it. But then she saw the damage that started to occur to her own child, let mm -hmm. alone children that she worked with, and and was like, "Wait, this is way worse. This 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 the medicine is way worse than the, than the, than the disease here." And and she started this process of she she, she could feel the cognitive dissonance. Where she's like, well, there was a moment where she couldn't even handle it. She was like two minds. And then at a certain point, she's like, "No, this is wrong." And there's this moment, you know, again, like, like an awakening, you know, in terms of the ability to change your mind. We're also trying to demonstrate what, what does it look like to change your mind? Because that's what we're asking people to do. And that's a very difficult thing to ask of people. There's a lot of people who'd rather die than admit they were wrong. And, and, and you know, it's, it's that profound of a, of a desire not to ever have to do that. But it is possible. And we are hoping to show that through story. I mean, we, this, this show is it's, it's sort of like a variety show. We have basically seven discrete storylines all interwoven, trying to show all these aspects, the science, the, 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 the narrative, the, the epiphanies, all these aspects. I mean, we were, we're definitely, we're, it's an ambitious project, I'll say that. And um, because, but we, we, we feel that all these can be 
then spun off into their own discrete stories and shows of like here's here's a conversation of two very powerful women who are on opposite sides here's the conversation of two very powerful scientists who are technically you know so who are sort of politically um diverse themselves and yet they're having the conversation you know we we, we try we're trying to be a political for the most part and show that their differences of opinion is what is our strength and and that and that when you and that's how you learn something that's how you might change your mind when you get new information like you know freedom of information to to make informed decisions comes with the ability like oh i didn't know that now that i know that i might make a decision an informed decision that's better for me and that that includes making changing little parts of your own mind so all these things are are vital for us to reclaim the fabric of our uh, shared culture i love that what was clifton duncan broadway actor Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. I've seen him interviewed. I'm like, where do I know him from? Yeah, he's got that he's, lovely deep voice. Yeah. Yeah. He's he he talks about he's 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 more famous for not not being allowed to act than for his acting. Yeah. He's actually very very talented and he's our he's our main host and he does a very good job. And Excellent. uh he's he's a very he's very active on Twitter these days. And um and we you know we we heard his story on the Tom Woods podcast actually and we're like, wow, he's fabulous. He's like, Yeah, I'm out of work, I'm waiting tables. Like we're like, you wanna come host a show that's kind of one part cosmos, one part reading rainbow that tackles. The <laughs> <laughs> and he said, absolutely. So, so we've been having a great, so we're very fortunate to have him as our anchor. Yeah. Cool. Now your website shows that you're accepting donations to, to finish this, to get her done. Yeah. 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 It's, it, it is, it's, it is a big project. We are going for, you know, a full sort of high level production values. We, we, we raise an initial 300,000 to kind of get the, the, the production going. Um, and, um, we actually raised in the course of it. We raised another 150 to of uh, 450, and now we're in the process of raising that final uh, hundred thousand dollars to finish it. Where you know we have color and special effects. We we actually created entirely new uh, animation systems to to real time animate all the COVID data on the planet simultaneously. So it almost looks like the globe turns into its own spike protein as you see all the waves <laughs> across it, as well as the Covey character, Covey two. Um, for the kids and it's a great right. little thing. So we, we did all this stuff to have a little bit for everybody. And we are, you know, we, we, we had over a thousand donors uh, were, are, have been our base and, and moving us forward, but we are looking for additional donations to help us finish this film, to give us as much punch as possible and help with the distribution plan and marketing. Cause all these things add up and, you yeah. know, we're, we're probably, op- you know, we're, we're very assiduous with our dollars. We're probably right. punching three or four times are above our weight class. Um, and, but we, uh, we would love uh, anyone to, uh, and we're actually having on March 15th, where I believe is the date we are having a uh, sneak peek of our rough cut, which basically is a story. So if anyone donates $20, they can watch this and take a survey and give us feedback. And then our main actual, the full release of the proper uh, is on April 19th. And that's in Orlando, Florida. It's being hosted by Tom Woods. Tom Woods was one of our early supporters. Um, and uh, so we're, we're going to be hosting it with him there and that's if you go to follow the science series you can a find about how to donate to us b how to be participate in that march 15th screen and c come uh, if you're in the orlando area there are still tickets available they're free of charge and we're going to have a nice big theater and a bunch of great people and then after that we're off to the races and we're going to be showing it all over the country and trying to show it to everybody that's awesome I, I love that. So follow the series, uh, follow, follow the science series dot com. And I think there, you might get some takers there. I think it'd be really cool to be that on would... that rough cut and give your feedback. I love that. 
Yeah. yeah and and, the, and the, the Health Freedom Alliance and, and Freedom Groups have been um, very supportive of us in the past. And we, 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 we had some exposure and, uh, you know, because it's there was very hard like in the early days. I mean, nobody was very few people were talking about it. And we were out there yeah. like, this is going to be made. We're doing it. And we, we feel that this is going to really help with the conversation and the dialogue yeah. that you guys are trying to generate. And so we, yes. we see a lot of simpatico with the efforts here. So I really appreciate you having me on and and. Yeah. and curious about the project and i hope yeah. you enjoy it when you watch it and 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 please give and give often if you have people if your audience is people, we appreciate it. <laughs> i love that I, and i really do love that you're reaching out to for these community feedback there's been some great um documentary films made over the years and and some of us like mama bears who've been in the movement for a long time and we network with doctors and scientists and we read a lot of science we'll watch some series and we're like oh because it's like, if we had screened this before, we would have told them this and this, and we would have given them the little fiddly bits they didn't know because the, the filmmakers did a great job, but they don't, you know, there's so much to know often sure, on these sure. subjects. And then you, you've got this whole system of medical freedom mamas who, who mm -hmm. have this vast amount of information that will give you things you didn't even know to ask, you know? Sure. And so, you know, we're, we'll put the word out there. And so maybe we can get, you might get more feedback than you'll want. <laughs> we welcome it. That's the dialogue we're looking for. And we've, yeah. we've, 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 we have engaged. Yeah, that, that's great. We appreciate that. Yeah. It's, 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 and rightfully so everyone is fighting for their way of thinking because everyone's individual way of thinking has been under threat. And that is, that exactly. is a true threat. It is, it is, it's, it, everyone sees it and it's an open acknowledgement at this point. I, I've been saying this stuff for years and like maybe five years ago, it was hard to get anyone to like, well, you know, and you're like, no, this is, it's coming. It's coming. And when it happens, you'll know. And now everyone knows it's kind of weird to watch history just really actually click right through for real, for real time. We've all been through it. This yeah. is a moment of transition. And it should, it should, I, I, well, for someone who's studied uh, uh, dictatorships and uh, uh, tyrannical governments, I think it was Marcus Wolf, the former head of the Stasi in East Germany, that gave an interview yeah. when they asked him, what's the one thing you recommend um, uh, if you don't want to live under tyranny? He said, don't give power to government to, to spy on you yeah. or to control yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So the moment yeah. you do that is that's when you see power well, and, it's, and it's right to cite the stasi i mean i know i mean there's always this kind of there's this constant sort of talk about nazis and i'm like no stasis are the actual metaphor here it's the stasis of east germany and i i actually visited east germany when i was younger and i, I studied germany and german and went there and the stasi were really really creepy bunch and it's it's uh that's 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 really the example of what we're trying to make sure our government doesn't turn into and it does and it's odd to say that in non-hyper it's not not hyperbolic it's it's a real it's a real issue and people were really were informing on each other during the lockdowns they're not wearing their masks they're not doing the thing they're not staying inside they the, they they turn into an informant population all too quickly and right. um and, you know, we've got probably about two minutes. I'm in, in a mode I can't see. So um, Nathan, the engineer, I think he'll be able to take over and let us know when we're about to go. But um, right. Hawk, I wanted to tell you right now in Washington state, there's a House Bill 1333, which is a domestic violent extremist um, uh, commission they want to set up. And it has now passed its second or third committee, passed appropriations. It'll have to go all the way through the House and then the Senate. But the goal is to set up a public health style, community-based network of surveillance and intervention 
Ah. in order to prevent domestic violent extremism. And they said they're carving out, they don't want to catch up social justice activists. They will, out of necessity, have to trample on the First and Second Amendment. They've admitted this. Mm -hmm. And the the group's... Oh, time? Uh Uh-oh. One minute? Okay. The the groups they believe are leading uh, some of this awful narrative that they oppose are those who oppose masking, who oppose the COVID vaccines, who oppose drag queen story hours and all this sort of thing. And it's happening for real in Washington state. Yeah, we got to unmask. These these maskers have to be unmasked in all forms. I mean, this metaphor of masking is they have to be unmasked. This is this is a bald stealing of of rights. And uh, yeah, but at least our eyes are open to it. So I appreciate the time and thank you for having me on. And I hope you enjoy the show when it comes time. And I'll keep in touch. Thank you, Hawk. Take care. God bless. And we're going to take a break. You've been listening to um, an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. Uh, we'll be back in a few minutes. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one-world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me, somebody to show me the love. We need a revolution. Hello and welcome back to an Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and I've got Javier Figueroa with me in the house. There he is again. That first guest, Hawk Jensen, with followthescienceseries.com. I'm really excited about that series. 
Um, so coming in April, go to the website. If you want to kind of help behind the scenes, help fund that thing. Uh, he said, what, $20 donation, you'll be invited to do a rough cut and give your feedback. So that might be really kind of something fun to be in on. Be part of the solution, right? And uh, the power of storytelling, I tell you. And, you know, what we're going to do this next hour, Javier, is is not quite as powerful as storytelling, but a little bit. Because what I'm going to show you, we're going to look at an eight-minute video, and I'm going to be stopping it. I've prepared sort of a rough rebuttal PowerPoint to go back and forth with. But this very lovely presentation by the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, I'm going to be playing. And the gal is so pleasant. And, you know, it is a little bit of storytelling, marketing, make you feel good. We're going to do this. And, and you know, you're going to see here. Um, and it, it just really kind of shows the infrastructure that was in place and, and everything that needs to be broken apart the absolute capture here. I'm I'm just going to kind of be quiet now. I'm going to figure out what to do. Let's see. I'm going to add this to the stream. See if I can do this. We're going to listen to the beginning here. Children get most of their vaccines when they are babies and toddlers, but there are five or six vaccines that are really important to get as an older kid or teenager. I'm an adolescent medicine doctor taking care of teens every day in my practice. Vaccines are a great way to make sure my patients are as healthy and safe as possible as they start to explore the world and become more independent. In this video, us at Medicine Doctor. Oops. taking. There we go. Can you still hear me here? We're we still in the stream. Awesome. Okay. What I wanted to say is throughout my activism with public health in this movement, they're always saying that vaccination equals health. If you want healthy kids, get them vaccinated. Vaccine products are designed to do one thing, to either prevent infection or, as is often the case with the products on the market, to minimize symptoms. They don't prevent infection. They may minimize symptoms of infection if you are exposed. They're not nutrients. They're not essential to life. They're not building blocks of health. Um, there's nothing in there that is essential to human health. They don't build health. They are an artificial, tricky way to try to prevent specific disease if you're exposed. That's it. I just I just need to get that in there because it's they're equating vaccination with health. It especially doesn't play out when we look at the vaxxed, unvaxxed communities, right? Okay, I'll keep going. Care of teens every day in my practice. Vaccines are a great way to make sure my patients are as healthy and safe as possible as they start to explore the world and become more independent. In this video, I'll walk through the vaccines that are recommended for kids starting around age nine up until they graduate high school. The first thing you should know is that each vaccine is recommended at a specific age for two reasons. One, the vaccine will work the best with your child's immune system. And two, it is timed when your child or teen needs the protection the most. Um. What do you think about what she just said there, Javier? Show me the evidence. <laughs> exactly. There no, there's no evidence for this. It's just a statement because it fits a particular narrative. That's it. Yeah. And they give the hepatitis B at birth and hepatitis B is sexually transmitted or by dirty exactly. needles. They test the mother to make sure she's not infected. In, in most cases, that baby is at zero risk for the first... 5, 10, 15, 20 years of life, you know, depending Correct. on 
on, what their, you know, lifestyles they get into. So what, um, as, as you'll see, as we get into some of the specific vaccines, um, I'll mention a few things um, more about that. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the American Academy of Pediatrics and other medical groups have all agreed on a schedule for immunizations for adolescents based on these two factors. So I want to tell our radio audience that we're looking at a slide now that says for adolescents, seven through 18 years, I didn't realize seven was considered an adolescent. It seems awfully young. Um, But they're recommending a men-ACWY, which is meningococcal vaccine with four strains, a men-B, which is uh, meningococcal B strain, flu vaccines, HPV vaccine, Tdap, which is your tetanus diphtheria and acellular pertussis, and gosh, the COVID-19 series and booster. This is what AAP is recommending. Um, So here we go. For example, we give meningococcal vaccines in high school. Meningococcal disease is caused by bacteria that can affect the bloodstream, brain, and spinal cord. And it is life-threatening if it's not caught and treated early, like within a few hours it can be a terrifying fast disease. Every year, about 1,000 people in the U.S. get meningococcal disease. The biggest risk group is people between the ages of 15 and 21, the same time students are in high school or entering college and living in a dorm. It's really easy for infections to spread in these crowded places. So, giving the first dose of the vaccine at age 11 and the second dose at age 16 before college means teens will be protected when they're most vulnerable. And that's what we want. So I want to go and, sh- and show you some things here. I, this slide didn't fit. Um, so is it true that every year about a thousand people in the U.S. Um, contact meningococcal disease? And I looked at uh, a couple of places, CDC and also this uh, meningococcal website, and they say it's approximately 600 to a thousand. And this has really kind of been creeping up. Um, 10 to 15 percent of people who get meningococcal disease um, will die. So maybe 60 to 150 people a year. And 20% of people who get the disease, so maybe 120 to 200 people will have a permanent disability. So, you know, if you get the disease, it is, it is very serious, very serious. Um, but, and I, I didn't, have time to put everything in here about each disease, but you know, most people about 10% of the population at any given time, if you swab them, they've got some sort of meningococcal, but it's not invasive, it's not causing disease. You know, in order for it to really cause disease, you have to have risk factors, right? Because mm-hmm. it's very common, and a lot of people probably have immunity and don't know it. The risk factors, though, and this is from the CDC. They include persistent complement component deficiencies. Uh, I'm not even quite sure what that means, but if you are on particular drugs, which are really immune suppressors, it's putting you at higher risk. And I think that's why why meningococcal disease is on the rise because so many people have um, autoimmune disorders and they're being put on these drugs. I can't even pronounce them. Can you pronounce them? Uh, Eculizumab, which is Solaris, that's the uh, that's the marketing name, and there's Ravulizumab, uh, which is Ultramiris. And again, these are all you know, basic, like you said, they're immune suppressants of one sort or another. And it's no yeah. wonder, it's no wonder you can get meningococcal disease 
if you suppress your immune system. Right. You can get a lot of things. And then also people who with functional or anatomic asplenia, and that's when you like your spleen doesn't work correctly. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah. If you have HIV infection, if you travel to or, or um, reside in a country where meningococcal disease is hyper endemic or epidemic um, and exposures during an outbreak, microbiologists who returnly work with isolates of, uh, you know, men meningitis are also at risk. And then we finally get to the end. The pe only people that this woman in this video was talking about and making fearful that if you get it within a couple of hours, you could die. You know, in addition, household crowding, active and passive smoking, and antecedent viral upper respiratory infection have been associated with meningococcal disease transmission. Um, and I did a deep dive along with Dr. Tatiana Obukohanich a few years ago and presented it to the UW because they were adding the meningococcal for admission for freshmen and sophomores. Um, and smoking was really the biggest factor. There are studies that show if you avoid smoking or passive smoking, you know, your risk in this age category in the college setting just plummet. It's really, and, and the numbers are pretty small to begin with. Um, I'm wondering how I advance this. Oh, I think I advance. There we go. There you go. So the CDC, I went to look like, what are we talking about? I hope I did the math right here. I found where they gave incidence of disease for meningococcal and it was broken down by in age groups, but also they did this age spread. So you're used to looking at statistics and it says incident rates per hundred thousand of meningococcal disease by age group from 2010 to 2019. So was I cor correct in believing that the number they're given is all of them in a nine-year span? Is what Correct. That's okay. that's the only way they get to 3,440. Because okay. like you said, if they're saying it's about 1,000, well, that's 3,440 in a 10-year period. No, wait, wait, wait. It's 3,440 groups of 100,000. I was trying to get to... Um, you know, what 0.2 in 100,000 was. So what I did was I looked at like for the age 50 okay. to 24, the risk factor is 0 0.20. So I multiplied that by how many groups of 100,000 people there are, 3,440. Gotcha. And that led to 688 cases in nine years for nine this years. age group, for this age group, which is about 76 cases a year in the United States yep. in this age group, which is less than two per state. Yep, that's exactly. So yep. you didn't get any of how rare this is, do you? Now, I know nope. there are people who have lost their children to meningococcal disease. And I actually know um, somebody, her son did not die, but did get meningococcal disease in college. And it was very scary. So I don't want to minimize that. I just want to say that your risk is not what it's being put out there by this little sound bites that she gave. Um, and then we go on to some other data we uncovered when I first explored it. In 2015, 90% of college students, the cases of meningococcal disease that they had got, they had been vaccinated with the MACWY vaccine. 90% of the the cases had been vaccinated. 38% of the non-college student cases of meningococcal disease had been vaccinated. 
Um, and they, at the time they were given the ACWY, the um, Hep B or the, not Hep B, sorry, the um, Men B vaccine. Yeah. It had just come out in 2014, but in 2015, it really wasn't available. 17 of the 51 deaths um, in 2015 in this age group were to the zero group B. Okay, so now, now let's go on a little further. So when you look at the full history of these vaccines, they haven't been around too long. Um, in the whole history of these shots, there have been 43,433 reports of adverse reactions. Um, 23,000 of them were in the 6 to 17-year-old group, so quite a few. Um, there were 5,545 of them rated as serious. And I want to point out here that we have learned with COVID that theirs doesn't update. Whatever your initial filing is of your reaction to a vaccine, even if you continue to update behind the scenes and say, I'm getting worse, yeah. I'm getting worse, I'm getting worse, I'm dead, they don't update what you see publicly. So this is just the first report to theirs. Um, and this was pre-COVID, and we know that the uh, reporting rate was around 1% to 10%. So yep. you can easily add a zero or two to these numbers. Okay, but we'll just go with face value. And there have been 251 deaths associated with these shots. Okay. So that doesn't seem too safe to me. And they're highly ineffective. Yeah. And then we look at the men B in particular. Well, and it just came out 2015 or so. Um, so what's that? Eight years. Eight They've years. had 12,662 reports of adverse reaction. They've had 2,449 um, at Sirius, and there have been 76 deaths due to the men B shot alone. So the risk benefit ratio here and the shots do not prevent transmission. Right. And they wane yep. fairly rapidly. Okay. They do. Um, if even if it's a match, but we like we saw it, ninety percent of people weren't protected; they got disease anyway. Um, it really just shows that environmental factors are so much more important. Avoiding smoke, taking, making sure you're getting vitamin D. Um, there's a lot of a lot of things that go into which are known. Um, so let's go back to. I think we're done with that. Um, oh, one thing I did want to show you. I can't grab that from there. Um, it'll take too much time anyway. But if you go yeah. to MedAlerts and you actually look at the people who were killed by the men B shot, it's so heartbreaking. 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-old. Um, it's it's alarming. Okay, we'll go back to the video. Oh, thank you, Nathan. We might pull that up go in a bit. through the rest of the vaccines kids get during this time. First, flu vaccine. This is a vaccine that the CDC and the American Academy of Pediatrics recommend every year for everyone aged six months and older, including teens. Getting this vaccine before Halloween is a good way to make sure your teen is protected for the entire flu season. The flu. Okay, um, let me go ahead. I have to stop there because it doesn't protect for the entire season. As soon as you get the flu shot, even if it's a match, it's waning every week. It drops. And I can't remember. I didn't have time to look it up. Maybe you know those stats off your head. But within about two months, you're not protected anymore. So the whole flu season, if you get it before Halloween, I don't think so. It depends, I guess, how long the flu season is, if it's a perfect match. Um, good heavens. It is. Um, yeah. No, it's, 
again, this whole this whole thing that we've been talking about vaccines and vaccine uh, preventing disease, it's preventing symptoms in most cases at best. And the risk benefit ratio right now, I used to be, again, five years ago, I would have said, Bernadette, you're just a nutter. <laughs> right? Now I'm actually looking at the science and looking at all the data and it is insane. It, mm-hmm. this, is, this is one of the most self-destructive programs that we have in this country right now. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't have on this slide and any of the citations, but they're they're on Informed Choice Washington. And we'll try to put together after this show. Now, we do a newsletter. Thank you, Gerald, if you're listening. Yay for doing our wonderful newsletter and grabbing things. I'm going to send you a whole bunch of links you can put in our next newsletter. Informedchoicewa.org. Go to our Substack. It will be in there with all these links of what I'm talking about. But we know that annual vaccination actually increases your risk of catching any pandemic flu. Um, if you get it every year, it's worse than getting it every five years. Uh, we know there's an association between the annual flu shot and COVID-19 mortality. There was some great, I haven't talked about it in a long time, so I want to find that link again and show the, the work of, of that woman, that researcher who did some great um publications on that. and But we do know who's at risk. She's going to, I'm not sure if I played it yet, but she's about to say or did say that we don't know who's at risk of severe flu disease. Well, yes, we do. The number one risk factor to poor outcomes to flu is obesity. Number one. Um, and then there's poor diet, lack of exercise, low vitamin D levels. And obesity and low vitamin D levels are very much associated because if you're, what's that syndrome you're in when you, you tend to... Um, you're putting on weight, you're not metabolizing sugar correctly, some metabolic syndrome. You're also yeah. not not utilizing vitamin D correctly. It's all tied together. Right. It's all tangled. Acetamin use, um, acetaminophen usage plummets your ability to recover from the flu. Immune mm-hmm. suppressing drugs, same with we saw with meningococcal disease, smoking, mm-hmm. secondhand smoke. We know, we know the environmental factors. And there are studies that show that um, flu vaccination does not prevent spread of flu in a household setting. It's not going to prevent it in a dorm setting. It's not going to prevent it anywhere. We have the science on that. Uh, so let's go ahead and hear what else she It's a really say. unpredictable virus, and we don't know which teens will have a mild illness, which means they can miss a few days of school, and who will have more severe disease that needs to be hospitalized. The vaccine works really well to prevent severe disease leading to hospitalization. So it's a good idea to make sure everyone in your home is vaccinated every year. Were you wanting to say, show me the data? Yeah. Show me the data. There's nothing. There's no evidence. (laughs) No, no. Um, And in fact, all of the evidence says the otherwise is is the shot either has no impact on serious disease and hospitalization and deaths, um, you know, which shows that it, the risk benefit ratio is just not there. It doesn't have the, the overall impact. And then I've only got one slide. I'll show you Next, COVID-19 vaccine is important for all adolescents. COVID-19 vaccines have been given to millions of people around the world, including teenagers and younger children. And we know they're safe and effective. Vaccination is the best way to protect your teen from being hospitalized from COVID-19 or missing more school. And your teen can get their COVID-19 vaccine at the same time as the flu vaccine or other vaccines they need. Okay, so I'm going to show you the slide I created for that COVID bit. So, I mean, are you kidding me? 
you know, we've covered in depth on this show. So I, I figured people don't really probably right now want to hear everything, but we'll come mm -hmm. up with a couple of key points. The, the shot doesn't pre prevent infection or transmission. And there are zero studies that show it's safe to give an mRNA genetic therapy injection that wakes up your immune system that sends lipid nanoparticles throughout your body, sets up little spike protein factories everywhere. At the same time, you get injected and get your immune stimulated, especially with like an aluminum adjutant vaccine that sends your immune system on hyper alert to go after anything that seems foreign. I can't imagine any scenario more da dangerous where you've got an aluminum adjuvant and a foreign spike protein. Talk about putting autoimmunity on, on you know, hyper creation of autoimmunity. It's just boggling. <laughs> Anything to add or no? Let's shall we just move on? <laughs> Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> So they're, they're showing a slide. Starting at age nine, you can give your child a vaccine that will prevent cancer. This is the HPV vaccine, which protects against human papillomavirus, a virus that causes cancer in both males and females. HPV causes cervical cancer, penile and anal cancers, cancers of the mouth and throat, and genital warts. The vaccine protects against the strains of the virus that cause more than 90% of these cancers. And it works really well. In the decade after the vaccine was first recommended in the United States, HPV infections decreased more than 80% in women and teen girls. That's really amazing. Why is it recommended starting at age nine? It's because we know that when kids get the vaccine at age nine, their immune system makes more antibodies. The vaccine just works better with your child's immune system at this age, so they build up better protection against these cancers. That means if your child gets the vaccine between ages nine and 12, they need just two doses of the vaccine. If they don't get the first dose until age 15, they need three shots. Getting the vaccine at the earliest opportunity is really the best way to make sure your teen is safe well before they are ever exposed to this virus. But it's not too late if your teen didn't get it at age nine. Just talk with your pediatrician about how to schedule it. Okay, so we're gonna go on to, to Gardasil here. And um, <sighs> wow. The shots have never been proven to prevent cancer. Cervical cancer takes usually about 50, you're about in your 50s before you get it. So the trial used surrogate endpoints of genital warts. Um, and it's never really been proven that HPV actually causes cancer or if it's just an opportunistic virus that tends to be present because your immune system is not operating optimally. The risks for not clearing HPV because like most people in their lifetime, they get it. Almost everybody gets it. They recover from it on their own. Even the CDC says 90% or more of people who, you know, get HPV and fully clear it. And then you're left with vigorous natural immunity. Hello. Um, uh, where was I going with that? Um, oh, so, oh, but if, you're, if your body isn't clearing it, why? You know, if you're getting cancer, why? It's usually something is going on with your immune system and it's some environmental factors. There's smoking, birth control pills, um, diet, you know, all of the things that we, same thing we've been saying before. Um, <clears throat> let's see, there's an, I, I 
we've got a book we recommend, of course, HPV Vaccine on Trial, Mary Holland, and mm -hmm. other wonderful authors. The book is still relevant. And then we have got, um, uh, there's multiple lawsuits right now, dozens and dozens of lawsuits outside of vaccine court because Merck is being sued for fraud and malfeasance there you in go. their clinical trials. And they, well, they should be. Right. In essence, with the first HPV vaccine, which was two strains, I believe, in most groups that they called the control group, they gave the control group unknowingly, unwittingly, they gave the girls in this group the aluminum hydroxy, I can't pronounce it, AAHS, their very potent aluminum adjuvant as the in the control group, and which is very toxic on its own. And it has never... The FDA does not require anybody to study the components of a vaccine individually for toxicity. They just have to study the whole formulation, which makes it able for them to pull out one of their components and test it component in your placebo group against the full shot. And lo and behold, a lot of the same adverse reactions showed up. So you can say that the adverse reactions were the same in the placebo group as in the vaccine group, right? All of this is on trial. One of the most dangerous shots out. It was the most dangerous shot out there until we got to COVID. And then, yep. you know, the COVID injuries have sort of <clears throat> blown them out of the water. One thing I do want to go search for, I got to figure out where it is. You know what? I'm going to do a quick search. Um, did you have something to add? Well, I do this quick. Oh, I got the T oh, out no there. Problem. So I'm going to go back to HPV. And um, I, I want to show everybody the vaccine insert. So I'm just going to grab that real quick because you're not going to believe this. Um, Cardicel insert. And let's see, package insert. There we go. I'm going to be able to grab it faster than I anticipated. Let me go back to here. I'm going to get good at this. Let's see, present, share screen, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to go to Gardasil insert package and share. Okay, are we seeing? Let's see if I can make Almost it bigger. Yeah, now we go. Okay. So here is, oh, this is only the, oh, this is the old one. Hold on. I got to go back and look for Gardasil 9 and do this one. Okay, let's make it bigger. Am I still sharing? Are you seeing Gardasil 9? Gardasil 9? You seeing that? No, I'm going to. Oh, you're giving me the thumbs up. Okay, let me do that there's again. A, there's a delay. There's a delay, but yeah. Um, oh, okay, I'll do it again. There we go. All right, here we go. Let me make it a little bit bigger. Okay, <clears throat> so. What's really important, I want to go down here and show you a couple of things which she did not tell us. Um, first of all, the Gardasil doesn't eliminate the necessity for vaccine recipients to undergo, undergo screening for cervical, vulvar, vaginal, oropharyngeal, and other head and neck cancers as recommended. Um, it doesn't cover any HPV types, obviously not in the shot. But what's really important, let me see, I didn't get it highlighted. Um, limitations. Gardasil's um, Okay, here we go. Okay, in 1.3 of the Gardasil insert, Gardasil 9, it says, 
Gardasil 9 has not been demonstrated to provide protection against disease caused by HPV types to which a person has previously been exposed through sexual activity. So when you're, why are they targeting nine-year-olds? Because they are not screening anybody for previous infection before they're giving them the shots. If you give it to somebody who's been exposed, now they're claiming that the only way to get HPV is through sexual contact. But there are there's some science out there that shows it's it might not necessarily be just through sexual contact. You know, young people who've never actually been sexually active have been found to have some HPV um, virus. So I didn't do a deep dive on that. Maybe something we'll look into later. So nine-year-olds, most nine-year-olds are probably not exposed, but if you're giving it to a teen or now they have it up to age 45, they're not screening these people for prior infection. So, so two things, it's not going to work for people who have had prior infection. And two, Javier, the clinical trials showed an increased risk of cancer, of rapidly growing, so they were able to detect pretty quick on follow-up cancer if you were previously exposed. So this is huge. This is huge that they do not tell you. It won't protect you. And then the insert should actually warn you it might be dangerous to get this if you were previously exactly. exposed. And then exactly. let's go, yeah, then let's go down to... Um, This was all bridging studies. They didn't actually test test it um, again as they added. They just did some bridging studies. Um, there you go. Tell it us is about impressive. yeah. As I search, tell our listeners yeah. about bridging studies. It's impressive because one of the things that they're doing is they're they're all doing these uh, these these proxies to basically cut out the required time that they need to to take this to market. Because again, with cancer studies, it takes years if you're trying to prove that that it is you know effective against a a cancer, a treatment cancer. It takes years, and you know millions upon millions of dollars. And so they're basically Gardasil was basically another milestone. In the in the in the in the process of actually fast tracking vaccines, ever and ever faster, yeah. and you know, it, Gardasil. I mean, this this is this is just shameful that that FDA basically said we will take your proxies, yeah, as 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 proof that there is an, an um, you know a, a preventative or it has a a benefit. Genital warts. Yeah. <laughs> Are yeah. you kidding me? Right. Right. Yeah. And what I'm trying to find, and I'm not finding it here, I'm just wondering if it was in the Gardasil 4 pack, because they started giving it to boys earlier. But there was some language here that I'm not quickly finding that that said that it was licensing for boys was based on its effectiveness for like anal cancer or, or anal infections of HPV. And so licensing for use for nose and throat cancers was right. subject to future studies. So they're, they're marketing it for these uses, but they admit somewhere in all that massive gobbledygook of language. And, and Javier, clinical trial data that we are seeing 
in there. This is Merck. This is what Merck decided to provide to us. Exactly. Merck did the studies. They continue to do the studies. They continue to do the aftermarket studies. They alone determine whether or not an adverse event reporting reported um, is related to the shot or not. Right. Right. Yeah. And again, that's not pharmacal vigilance. That's basically no. trusting trusting the manufacturer to do the right thing. <laughs> do we trust them? No. no. Okay. So let's go, let's go on with this lovely. Um... At age 11 or 12, we give a vaccine called Tdap or TDAP. This vaccine is a booster to protect against three diseases, tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis, which is also known as whooping cough. It's a slightly different version of a vaccine your child received as a baby, which is called DTAP or DTAP. The version for teens and adults has the same amount of tetanus vaccine, but lower doses of the diphtheria and pertussis vaccines, which is why it has a different name. After your child gets Tdap at age 11 or 12, they will need a booster every 10 years as an adult as well. Let me explain more about the diseases. This okay, so Tdap. Um, and again, watch for our follow-up. All of these links you're, you're seeing on the slide, I, I will give you that. We've done some deep dive um, on Tdap. Um, the, I think the year was 2015, 16, 17. I can't remember how many years ago. Um, but here's the famous Cherry study. It, it, this paper is called The 112-Year Odyssey of Pertussis and Pertussis Vaccines, Mistakes Made and Implications for the Future from the Journal of the Pediatric Infectious Diseases Society. Now, this study I'm talking about, this isn't cherry-picked science. This isn't by scientists who everybody is trying to discredit you know, I had ongoing discussions with Secretary of Health in Washington State, the whole, <clears throat> you know, um, immunization department. They acknowledge the study exists and it's real. And here's a quote from the study. Because of linked epitope suppression, which Javier will explain in a minute, all children who were primed by DTAP vaccines will be more susceptible to pertussis throughout their lifetimes. And there is no easy way to decrease this increased lifetime susceptibility. So in other words, if the first exposure to whooping cough that your baby ever got was the DTAP shot, which they got at two months, at four months, at six months, at I think one year, three to five years, and then again, going into seventh grade, and then they're telling you every 10 years, and then they're telling women with every pregnancy. The shot makes, excuse your immune system and makes you forever susceptible. It blocks your ability to have natural immunity, sustained, broad, durable immunity. Do you know the term linked epitope supp suppression, yeah. Javier? Okay. So epitope basically means what the manufacturers are trying to target your immune system to recognize. And the linked epitope suppression means that you're skewing your immune system to recognize that, that one particular bit of protein. And basically to, su to suppress, to skew your response to that one, that one particular epitope for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, you might not, you might not develop symptoms, but you're just going to be equally or even more uh, capable of getting colonized by the, by the bacteria that produces whooping cough. And you yeah. might have, it and you might never know it, but mm -hmm. you might be spreading it everywhere. 
spelling it, you know, spreading it to the vulnerable outbreaks in newborns or newborns are generally catching it from their fully vaccinated siblings because yes. the mom doesn't know that the sniffles their toddler has is actually pertussis and it exactly. wanes in about 18 months. Um, and then you begin, be, begin to get more symptomatic. That sort of thing is going on. Um, exactly. so, um, we did a whole analysis again, the brilliant Dr. Tatiana Opokohanich gathered all the data and all the science. We presented it. We tried to get this shot removed from the school schedule. And we just said, you know, it's a personal parental decision. If you want your child susceptible to whooping cough the rest of their life, this is a pretty heady thing. Um, now, whooping cough can be scary to experience. So, so as a parent, you need to find a good doctor and do your research on how to treat pertussis. So if your child gets it, you know, you know how to treat it. But chances are you need to know how to treat it anyway, because the shot is becoming less and less able to suppress even the symptoms because it's evolved away from what's in the shot. Don't worry, they're making an mRNA version of the shot surely is on its way. I know I'm being sarcastic. Um, so we know it doesn't prevent infection or transmission. It, it spreads, it skews your immune system for life. So you never become immune to whooping cough. But the problem is um, that it's also in that tetanus vaccine with it. And we've got a serious problem of over immunization to tetanus because you're getting so many shots throughout a lifetime. And um, tetanus uh, vaccine has been associated with antiphospholipid syndrome, which is a blood clotting disorder. And that syndrome is one of the leading causes of infertility in the United States in women today. Well, is it any wonder they're getting already getting six or seven of these shots by the time they're in the sixth grade? It's insane. And then when they get pregnant, they're supposed to get another one. Um, so it, it's a real problem what we have here. And diphtheria, um, there's not a lot of whole a lot of information out there. Historical data shows that before the diphtheria vaccine was ever widely up um, taken up, that severe disease and hospitalization in cases of diphtheria had plummeted due to improved sanitation, um, improved diet, improved access to uh, medical community. It's one of those ones that went way down before vaccine uptake went way up. It also wanes. It also doesn't prevent infection and transmission. There's just not a, it's, it's one of those things I think like scarlet fever, which is still around, but doesn't have a vaccine that sort of took care of itself. And we know how to treat these things now with some modern medicine and some very old, traditional, wonderful um, medicines that mamas know about. Right. Exactly. Um, so I think that's the last of like my slide presentation. And then the rest of the video here will just be talking about. So let's go ahead and see what else she has to say. Prevents. First is tetanus. This is a bacterium that naturally lives in the soil or dust, and you can be exposed to it through any break in your skin, like a cut or puncture wound. Tetanus produces a deadly toxin that causes painful muscle contractions. Another name for tetanus is lockjaw because it often causes a person's neck and jaw muscles to lock making it hard to open the mouth or swallow. We will never eliminate this bacterium from our world. And so the vaccine is the best way to prevent tetanus. So what she didn't say there was that it's just not any old cut, a paper cut. It has to be a cut that gets dirty. There has to be some sort of filth involved. And that bacterium then has to be present. And 
it has to be an anaerobic environment. So you put a cloth or a cover over that wound without properly cleaning it. It has to be all of these particular situations. She also didn't say that the vaccine creates immunity in the blood, but not elsewhere. So blood has got to get to the wound in, with that tetanus vaccine-derived antibody in order to prevent infection. And a really interesting thing a few years ago, um, cancer scientists were looking for some sort of molecule carrier, something that would deliver chemotherapy medicines to the brain. And they knew that, that the tetanus spore infection, and I don't know the lingo well, so I apologize if I mangle the language of the tetanus infection, but it's got like this carrier thing that, that grabs a hold of your nervous system and it carries it to the brain. Um, and they wanted to know if somebody um, who's vaccinated for tetanus, if they put a cancer drug inside a tetanus carrier, if it would still get to the brain or, or where they wanted to deliver it, or if the antibodies to the vaccine would prevent it. And lo and behold, gosh, being vaccinated didn't prevent the travel of the tetanus carrier to the brain. Right. Do you see where I'm going? So, oops, they discovered that the tetanus vaccine only works in limited situations. And exactly one of the places where Dr. Tatiana um, does say that it does seem to help is if you're giving birth in filthy situation where they're cutting the umbilical cord with mm -hmm. with a filthy sciver, um, scissors or a knife or something, because that's a deep cut. You've got the filth, bacterium present, and you've got the antibodies in the blood where you just cut. Mm -hmm. So it can help women in that situation. Um, anyway, go ahead. You, I interrupted you with. Oh the no, no, no! And it, it's again, it, dip, dip, tetanus is a is a bacteria produces a toxin. The toxin is what causes the 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 spasming and the and the locking up. But you know, there's there's several ways to treat it. Now we have we have the techniques and technologies for doing it. And again, like you said, it has to be a deep, it has to be a dirty, penetrating wound that ha that becomes uh, anaerobic. That is no oxygen. If you clean the wound, yeah. If you clean the wound, if you make sure that it's aerated, you're not gonna. There's no the possibilities of getting tetanus are close to zero. Right, and the majority of them used to be like farmers working in barns but you know people farmers got better boots over the generations there were just a lot of things that reduced cases of of tetanus and better access to first aid and that sort of thing so um do your research know what the product can and cannot do and i do not recommend you go get just the tetanus vaccine by itself without the tdap either research that because the formulation if if it's still out there, the one that was out there, it's TD and it has both mercury and aluminum. Um, the, the documentary film that um, Bobby Kennedy was involved in several years ago called Trace Amounts was about a young adult man who went and got a tetanus vaccine and the spiraling because it he had a horrible reaction to it because of the mercury and the aluminum. Okay, so she's going to talk a little bit here about the diphtheria. Second, diphtheria is a disease that causes a serious throat infection, breathing problems, and heart failure. Before we had a vaccine, it killed one out of every five kids who were infected. 
the vaccine. And she doesn't say what era that was. Was that 1910, 1920? And, I, and again, I want to say I'm not making light of the serious infections when they occur. I'm saying we right. need risk benefit ratio, examine the product that targets the infection. What else you got to prevent serious infection? It's like whenever they invent a vaccine to target an infection, common sense goes out. There's suddenly no treatment, no avoiding, right? We need a exactly. more holistic, integrated approach. ...is a lifesaver. Finally, pertussis, which we also call whooping cough. In teens, the illness can look like a prolonged cough that won't go away, sometimes with vomiting or trouble breathing. The protection your teen got from their childhood vaccine starts to wear off around age 11, which is why a booster is so important. This is especially true because teens can easily spread the disease to others, including infants, who are even more vulnerable. The implication there is that the vaccine will prevent you from spreading it. So that's that's fraud. That's lie by omission. She intend and it intentionally makes you feel like you're going to protect others if you get this. False. False. At age 11 or 12 is also when your teen should get their first meningococcal vaccine. We have two kinds of vaccines to protect against meningococcus. Meningococcal conjugate vaccine protects against four types of the bacteria, which are labeled with the letters A, C, W, and Y. Teens get their first dose of this at age 11 or 12 and a booster at age 16. Another type of meningococcal vaccine protects against a different type of the bacteria, which is known as type B. This vaccine is available for teens at age 16 to 18. MenB vaccine is recommended for teens who have certain chronic health conditions that make them more vulnerable or those who may be in an area where there's an outbreak. So it's a good idea to talk with your pediatrician about this vaccine too. So no context, no risk of the one in a million chance of even catching it, right? No uh, high risk categories, just, you know, it just so lightly covered that the promotion is just so wrong. Let's see. And then she's going to go through If your teen the didn't get other vaccines when they were younger, adolescence is a perfect time to catch up. That includes hepatitis A, hepatitis B, polio, pneumococcal vaccine, the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, which is known as MMR, and the chickenpox vaccine. If you're not sure whether your teen is due for any of these vaccines, it's a good idea to talk with their pediatrician or wherever you usually go for their health care. Their doctor can see what vaccines they have received and which ones they still need. Some colleges and universities also require students to be vaccinated, so check on these requirements early so your teen can get caught up before they leave for college. All of these vaccines are the best way to protect your teen and to give you peace of mind. I... <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> vaccines can protect teens from some major health problems, including infertility, muscle paralysis, brain damage, blindness, deafness, and cancer. Us at Medicine Doctor, taking care of teens. Oops, sorry. I, I clicked ahead. I want to go back to that slide. Um, problems, including I, here infertility, we go. muscle paralysis, brain damage, blindness, deafness, and cancer. Okay, <clears throat> you've got your head in your hands, folks. If you're listening on the radio, Javier's got his head in his hands. It, so if you go read any vaccine insert, you will see infertility, muscle paralysis, brain damage, blindness, deafness, and cancer listed on the vaccine insert, right? And, and something that people need to know, <clears throat> product inserts are regulated by our federal government. 
you know, they weren't always as corrupt as they used to be. And, and there really is some good regulations that are used and abused, but that are out there. <clears throat> now, it's required by law for vaccine manufacturers to include on the insert serious adverse events reported after receipt of their product if there is a plausible connection to the use of their product. They're not required to put it down if, it's, if there's no way it could possibly be. If there's a plausible connection, you put it down. But what the FDA does not require is for that vaccine manufacturer to do any research to see if it really was causally related. And what that does is it leaves the consuming public in absolute limbo because we're told when you read the insert of all of these adversary events that can happen and you got no way of knowing. As um, in 2015, the, um, the CDC hired a bunch of vaccine experts to, they did this white paper looking at a list of very serious adverse events that had been reported for all vaccines. We're talking autoimmune disorders, seizure disorders, uh, behavior disorders, diabetes, um, deafness, cancer, brain damage, you know, all of this stuff. Um, because the IOM, it was formerly called the Institute of Medicine. They've got another name now. They did an in-depth dive and they found that for this whole host of adverse re events reported after vaccination, there were zero studies or minimal studies that did not show whether or not there was a causal relationship. They said, CDC, you need to study this. So this was all put out in a white paper saying, we need to study this. And, and this white paper was trying to design studies. <laughs> and you would enjoy looking at the study designs, Javier, because if I, an amateur, can look at it and say, wait a minute, how is that going to really show anything? But they admitted no studies to say safety, that no studies saying these don't happen. So she, So here we are, she's putting the fear in parents that all of these diseases that vaccines target may cause these things. And if you want your kid to avoid all of these, they have to get all these products. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just, I think, stop share if I can re figure out how to do it. Um, <laughs> there we go. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Nathan. Okay. We got three minutes. So do your homework, people. <laughs> um, and, and don't live in fear. We, whoops, we don't want to be in fear. Um, we don't want to fear pharmaceutical products. We want to have knowledge of them. We want, don't want to fear disease. We want knowledge of them. We want knowledge of treatments. We want knowledge of how to bolster our immune system to resist them. We want, find yourself a practitioner aligned with what you believe is your approach to health and healing. So that when you do get sick, or your kid gets sick, you've got professional advice that you trust guiding you through, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. And that's what you want. That, yeah. That's all you need. That's all you need. And, you know, um, it wor It really worked for me. I went at first the pediatric uh, route myself. I was just about 40 when I had my son and I was pacing things and all this. The, pedi the pediatrician had no idea she was injecting my son with something. He had already developed anaphylactic 
allergies to, let's put it that way. And so I stepped off that platform, found a naturopath, and I haven't looked back since. Um, and every time anything happened, I could call her and she would just calm me down here. You can do this. And exactly, he was the healthiest kid, except for those darn anaphylactic allergies caused by those shots in the early months, healthiest kid you can imagine as far as that goes, his resilience to disease and, and everything. Um, not that he didn't get sick, but he overcame it easily. And well, well and I have to yeah. say that. We have we know friends in in our community that neither their children are, have been vaccinated. As a matter of fact, they were there at the moment of birth, stopping them from getting you know vit the vitamin K shots and anything like that. Mm -hmm. They said they basically said no. Two of the healthiest kids I have seen so far. Their 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 new newborn got RSV, recovered, no problem, mm -hmm. no oh, problem. Next week we have to go over the ridiculous RSV. Uh, presentations to the ACIP meetings that went on this week. The the manufacturers admit, Javier, they don't prevent infection. They don't stop upper respiratory disease. In 10 months, you have zero protection. They're admitting this and they're still trying to sell these um, to get approval for them. I'm not kidding. Okay, Javier, it's been a delight working with you again. Everybody, you've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. Take care, live an informed life, hug a tree, hug your children, be joyful and happy. Human beings need to uh, feel joy. So feel it this weekend. Take care. Bye now. Hi, I'm Brian Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PGI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PGI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit pji.org. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. 
high above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.